0: Hi, everyone. I hope that you had a great weekend and are staying safe. I'd like to introduce my next guest, Dr. Rona Patel. He received his PhD in education at Seattle Pacific University, where his dissertation was on measuring cultural competency in educators. I will be discussing his dissertation in a future episode. But today we're going to talk about our childhoods as Indian Americans. We will discuss the immigration process and how that led us to be one of the most successful immigrants in American history. We will also dive into how this contributed to the model minority myth. Then we will end with common issues that Asian Americans deal with in their childhood. Ronik is also distantly related to me, so we end up opening up about our lives and the similar childhood experiences we both had within our families. Thank you for joining me, Ronak. I really do appreciate you um, taking the time out to have this discussion with me. We have a lot of similarities since we are related through marriage. Our ba- our backgrounds and identities are pretty much the same, and we have a lot that we can relate on. So the first thing that I do want to talk about is who makes up South Asian um, Americans, what countries pretty much make them up. And what South Asia is, is Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Nepal, Bhutan, Bangladesh, the Maldives, and Sri Lanka. And it encompasses 5.4 million of America's population. So since we're both South Asian, I want, I just want you to go in a little bit more detail. Tell me a little bit about your identity. What is your relationship with immigration to this country? Tell me about your parents. How did they grow up? Um, How did you grow up? I mean, we kind of grew up together, which is um, also interesting, but tell me a little bit more about your story.
1: I also identify with the little under 4 million other Indian Americans in the country. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of cool how we grew up very similarly. I can still remember you coming to Seattle for summers and us just doing those Seattle things when we were kids. Um, but uh, I guess my relationship with immigration, my father immigrated here from India to pursue higher education. Um, he did his master's at the University of Michigan in engineering. And then my mom actually came over a little before him through family reunification, which I feel like we're going to talk about a little later.
0: Indian families are so big that to explain it is very interesting. But regardless, Ronak's mom has a sister and that sister is married to my uncle on my mom's side.
1: Yeah. And he he is the key. He's the one that came over here first. Uh, in that first wave of Indians coming over to, you know, pursue a higher degree. And then he brought people over to family reunification. So my mom actually came in through that avenue. And then my dad came separately right after. Uh, they were already married at this point, too, which is the funny part. Like they came over through two different ways, but he he came over for school. And then in the subsequent years, my dad brought a lot of his family over, <laughs> except his older sister came through his older sister's wife. So my uncle on that side. So like, there's just, you know, people just coming over, you know, uh, either through family reunification or being selected to come over through, um, you know, to do part of the skilled workforce.
0: And that was a big part of our culture is to bring as many family members over because the opportunities that were there for them in India were nothing. Compared to what they could achieve here in America. And so they wanted to give that opportunity to everybody in the family so we could all come up together. And so my uncle brought my mom over and then my mom brought my dad over when they got married. So yeah, they came over, and there were there's pretty much three waves. We keep talking about oh yeah that we brought. So there were three waves in the Indian immigration history um, of America. There's the first wave in 1965. It was due to the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965. This completely changed things the way that they decided who to come and we'll talk about that later. Then there was a second wave, which was in the early 1980s. That was where it was the family reunification. people that had already settled in America Due to the 1965 act or previously, even before then, they were able to bring their families over. And then now there's the third wave, which we're currently going through. And it's, some people call it the IT generation. It is all of the Indians that come over to do a lot of the tech and IT work here because they're just very heavily educated in those fields. Our families came through one of these, you know, routes So I kind of want to go over why we're even talking about this. What does this even have to do with parenting and child well-being? And people look at South Asians sometimes and see that we're very successful people. But there is a story behind that. It's not just because... Or, you know, Indians are known to be just smart people or it's our genetics or any of that stuff. But there's a reason for those things. Right now, if you look at the success of Indian Americans, we are 75% of us are proficient in English. More than 60% of us have completed a bachelor's degree or higher. More than 70% um, participate heavily in the workforce. You know, you look at us and we're very, you know, very well established in society and are very big. But if you look at the immigration of Indian Americans, it explains that why we're in this position. So, the first wave in 1965 was actually given to families of the best and the brightest. And they left India to come here, and it was about 20,000 scientists, 40,000 engineers, 50,000 physicians. Many of them spoke English. Many came um, from upper class communities. They were people with so- some sort of social capital. They had the ability you know, at least their mental capacity and their intellectual ability, they're able to succeed, you know, in an environment that is not their homeland. Um, So it was a different caliber of people that were coming here. And that is kind of explained, you know, between Ronak, his family and my family. My dad was an engineer in India, came here and went to Stanford and got his master's and then worked at IBM. And he sustained that job and like very much developed a lot of success in that job and um, with some business ventures. And Ronick explained that his dad is um, also educated and also his mom. So I don't know if you wanna explain a little bit more about my, the model minority myth and how that kind of plays into how we are successful.
1: A little bit, Ronnie. yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's it is. It, it's called a min- model minority myth. Um, I'm sure. I know we hear this in our own community growing up, but it's like you know we worked hard. You know, Asian Americans as a whole uh, worked hard because not only you know Indian Americans are have uh, have a higher median household income than white whites even like throughout the country, but it's also you know different communities of Japanese Americans and Chinese Americans. It's to different extents, but Indian Americans just because of the strange you know, just way that the laws worked and how time worked this, it's almost like a wedge issue that is used like, Oh, Indian Americans are successful. You know, why can't this ethnicity of people be successful? And it really lies in, like you said, where, you know, this, this was a choice, you know, you're taking the top percentage, like the top echelon of people in an area and bringing them over and, you know, giving them the opportunities to succeed. So of course, you know, that population is going to, you know, keep growing and propagating and just be at the top they use Indian Americans as a wedge to be like, oh, Indian Americans are working hard. Why can't Latinos work hard? Why can't African Americans work hard? When It's, a, it's a, totally ignoring the fact that no other population of a group of ethnic uh, Americans has been brought over like this, right? Some were brought over in chains. Some have had to, you know, sneak over the border to flee the same things that really, you know, our parents were fleeing, you know, it's a lack of opportunity is what they were leaving. And so the rules were totally different. And like, it's it's also the fact that the time our parents grew up they were in india past the point of india guinea's independence and so they were getting free or subsidized education getting trained out there and so they were reaping the benefits of that opportunity and then they came here in 1965 which was right after the civil rights movement and so they came into this you know they just landed fresh soil and all the opportunities were open to them without any knowledge of what it took to get there and so yeah this first wave of Indian Americans started in nineteen sixty-five, but there were also Indians before that, starting in the late eighteen hundreds. And they were coming over as laborers in New York or, you know, farm workers in California. And there was a point where some of them, you know, saved up money in the early nineteen hundreds and were able to buy land. And then in the, I think in nineteen twenties or nineteen thirties, there was a Chinese exclusion act, and that literally stripped them of all of their land and they came became second class citizens again. So those are the people that work with African American and Latino activists for the next 30 40 years to actually get to the point of 1964 and the civil rights act. And so our parents came here, not even understanding what it took for them to be here. And so this model minority myth is base is used as a wedge to keep some groups of people down and to, I mean, I don't know how it is in your community there but in my community there are people that actually believe that Indian Americans are for some reason special when we can sh- clearly show that it's just explained by you know state mandated so you know state engines they call it state engineering a different form of social engineering right so it's like there it's it's a hard thing to look in the mirror and understand like okay you know maybe we're not special and then that also leads us down the road of okay we're not special but we are seeing people around us who do not have the same opportunities even though they've been here longer and their ancestors fought alongside ours why are we just standing here and you know doing nothing? Or why am I only standing on the street during a Black Lives Matter protest and then going home? And
0: And that's something I like to discuss when it comes to understanding child growth and development and parenting and people's opportunities in a country that says that the opportunities have been given to everybody. But if we're not giving the same opportunities to every child to succeed, then they're all starting at different you know, starting points and some with major disadvantages like the black community. And then people like us in the Indian American community that came in with advantages and opportunities and very few struggles so that we are able to succeed in a very heavily dominated white society. Uh, And, It was at a place where timing worked for us in many ways, where things were going well in India for our families to get educated and then come here and also get further education and further opportunity. And that this pretty much shows when you do give a group of individuals a lot of resources at a young age, they can really, really do wonders with that. This also proves that a little bit that if we were to give our children these type of resources, you know, opportunity to get higher education, opportunity to, you know, Develop things in the world and technology and business. Uh, you know, our families very much benefited in those ways. We had a lot of up. Op- my dad was able to buy a business and they, I think in the 90s, early 90s or 80s, I think, but my dad bought a business with the rest of the family, you know, and it was a motel. And then they bought more motels and like being given that opportunity when you're young and want to learn and you, you know, are ready to kind of explore the world, it really can do a lot for society. And so Indians with that hard work, with that knowledge, with that education, were are able to run with it in the right environment as well. So if we could kind of mimic that for everybody, think of what that can do to America. And I always think about that because I feel extremely lucky that my family came here from India, because if I was brought up in India, my with the childhood there and the expectations there, I would not not have the life that I have today. It's because I was raised here, because I got the education I did, it's because uh, my parents um, were involved and had access to every resource they needed to give me what I you know needed to achieve in life. Even though I had major roadblocks in my childhood, those resources pulled me out of a lot of those issues and allowed me to get to a place as a stable adult to function in society and give back in great ways. So I very much like talking about the model minority myth as also a talking point and learning that, okay, these people succeeded, let's learn, well, some of it's due to like a biased opportunity they were given well, okay, can we give that same opportunity and not have it be biased and give it to everybody? How do we do that? How do we do that for the Black community that's been disenfranchised and their issues are very specific to Black Americans? And then how can we do that for Mexican Americans and then other Asian Americans and other South Asians? There's
1: just a lot we can learn from this situation, in my opinion. And maybe this comes from my background education, but I have you know, spent years teaching in a low income area. And I train teachers that teach in low income areas. And so I get to, I have to see it firsthand. And so this it's a, it's a huge gap in opportunity and it starts in these neighborhoods that people like us don't live in. Right.
0: That was the other thing that a lot of the Indian Americans, when they moved here, they propagated into the urban areas and then they also went into the suburbs and were um, lived closer to whites, but because they could afford and live in the houses and had the money and were extremely well-educated, they blend into the society a lot easier and were then looked at, you know, in favorably. Favorably. Yeah.
1: Continued. So if we... No, that's a good point. And that just brings Mm -hmm. in more of the model minority, like us as a model minority being used as a wedge issue, because I'm sure that we, that Indian Americans were not redlined as terribly as African-Americans were or still are being, you know? Um, And so it's just, that's just another kind of, you know, or you're saying your, you know, your family bought a business. I'm sure it's easier for an Indian American to get a business loan than it is for an African-American walking into a danger of Latino.
0: So a little shift from the model minority myth and history of immigration. um, I want to talk about just Asian Americans, and their childhood in America, dealing with their parents' culture from the country that their origin is from, and then coming to America and dealing with a completely different type of culture. First of all, it's known that a lot of Asian American children are bullied in school. I discussed this previously with Dr. Allen. Some of the research study shows that Asian Americans are heavily bullied because of their immigration status, their accents, sometimes because they ha- are high achievers in school, and so they're known as teachers' pets. This bullying is linked to poor psychological issues, like social issues, self-esteem. They just don't integrate well, then sometimes, and then they'll start to segregate themselves. Did you ever deal with this? At any point in time, did you ever, do you have any stories about your experience with bullying?
1: I was in middle school during 9-11 and I got called terrorist quite a bit in the subsequent years. I think that's one thing that most brown kids can relate to. And that's definitely not fun, especially growing up in a place that's mostly white up in the suburbs of Seattle. That was like, that's like my, that was the big one that's always kind of hung around there growing up as a brown American.
0: I also had, I remember coming out when it was second period in geography class. And we I lived in Naperville, very high end suburb of Chicago. They had TVs in my high school classroom and they were showing the news and like all the information, you know, and right when I got out of class, these two guys who I've known since elementary school came up to me right when I was working on class, like we just it's not like they knew that I was coming out exactly at the same time, but when they saw me, they said, go back to your country. And I'm like sitting there. I'm like, you guys have known me like forever. (laughs) you, what is this? Like, and that was the beginning of that. And I already dealt with bullying previous to that just because of my skin color being called diarrhea, because my name's Dara.
1: And I got called burnt toast in elementary school. Burnt toast. (laughs) Yeah. Because my skin color, apparently, I don't know. Everyone else that's is wonder bread, us, apparently.
0: Clever thing. I don't know. I thought that they would make it, maybe make it something similar to your names, because our names are always made fun of as well. Because yeah. they're, yeah. So like, <clears throat> I mean, my
1: experience as a high school teacher, like in a diverse area, like I didn't see as much of it based on race, just because it was so diverse. But that's not to say that there was no bullying. There was definitely. There's. There will always be bullying, and I think these days, it's almost easier to bully just because all these kids are so digital and it can be much, much worse. Yeah.
0: And that was, I think that not having to be able to see someone's reaction makes it so much easier to like bully.
1: And so, be hurtful. Yeah.
0: yeah. And hide behind, you know, your screens and be able to say whatever you want about, you know, someone's appearance without looking at them in the eye. And there's mm-hmm. something to that, but that leads into some of the other issues that Asian Americans deal with, which is mental health issues uh-huh. high nu- They report high numbers because they have also this, not only just the bullying, but the other thing that we deal with is that we have this internal battle that we are kind of trying to blend our parents' culture and American culture together one reason for that is we want to please our parents and we respect the culture and we understand it through our food, through religion, through traditions, all those things, through our language and then we also want to fit in at school and do well in school and understand the american education system and how the, you know, work force will eventually work work with us and trying to mold those two together can be like just constant
1: Oh, it's exhausting. Like that code switching is utterly exhausting. Like I, I mean, I look back, I think about this all the time. I look back in elementary school and middle school and somewhat even high school, you know, the house, the culture of the house was different than the culture of school. And those are two places I spent the most time in. And so at home, my parents definitely tried to hold up as traditional of an Indian household as possible, which I totally understand because, you know, coming from their perspective, they were, they just left home. Like, Can you imagine leaving home, leaving everything that you know and how you know it and going to live in the other side of the world where everything is totally different? I can't even imagine that right now. And so they did that and they tried to recreate what they could at home, not only to teach us about that culture, but to give them some type of comfort. And so that was my home culture. And then so like eating Indian food and listening to Hindi music and my parent, my mom would get get up every morning and days where she wasn't working, she'd go downstairs and pray and she would light the like candles and have them around the house. So it was like those. That was, that was it. And none of my other friends' houses were like that at all. And then I went to school, and it was a totally different culture. And so that like code switching back and forth was utterly exhausting. And it takes it took a long time to figure out. I'm sure most Indian kids and you know, or any immigrant kids have that kind of experience. And that difference in culture was tough to to go back and forth. But then now looking back on it, like I also now feel more comfortable when I walk into a lot of situations and then maybe I attribute that partly because of that practice and especially like when I'm traveling now it's, it's not you know it's not a big deal for me to be in a place with different culture because I can kind of shift into whatever I'm seeing there's a, you know you're almost like a chameleon in that sense um, but growing up that definitely was different I didn't understand it a lot and I didn't have friends over a lot because apparently my house smelled like curry that was like another thing that always comes up and that's because my mom was making indian food or my grandma's making indian food and she was like frying spices which is exactly what i do now when i want to make indian food uh it's so it's a weird thing but it's it's also one of those nice, fun things to talk about with other immigrant kids because there's always that shared experience doesn't matter where their parents came from
0: and there is this like difference in this most everyday experiences like what I was allowed to wear in an American environment versus versus an Indian environment. How, you know, like my mom was more traditional, so she didn't want me to wear like short sleeves or, you know, in American culture, like anything that was, you know, sleeveless or midriff showing or any of that, you know, short shorts was not okay. But then I would go to Indian events and I I had like backless stuff. My midriff was showing. I could wear sleeveless stuff, and then it didn't make sense sometimes. Like, okay, things are different, you know, in why we could do things just because of the way things are viewed within society. So, dating is one of those things. Like, dating is a big part of American culture at a younger age than a Indian culture, and then you can't talk to your parents about dating because they're totally against it, and then your friends. Their parents are like talking to their kids about dating and who they're going to prom with. And you're just like, well, we can't go with anybody. My parents allowing me to go to those experiences was really hard for them. Like last minute, they would change their mind like a lot of the time. And I think it's because, you know, they're like, okay, we're fine with it. We're fine with it. And then right when it's about to happen, you just start to freak out. And so then last minute, my parents would be like, no, you can't go. And then I'd be like, what's going on here? You know, and then you just have this like, Issues then with your friends, and at that point, like that, I cancel as a minute, or my parents say these things, you know, or bringing Indian food with you to school and your friends being like, Oh, your food smells.
1: Oh, I would never do that.
0: (laughs) And it's just like so interesting to like trying to navigate that. But then what you explained, I didn't realize it is very true, is it's easy for me to travel and go to any middle of nowhere country, city, town, meet random people and feel comfortable. That's a little bit of my personality, but I had to fit into an environment that was not fully me and in, in my own home with my parents and also at school. That's really interesting that that ends up being a superpower that you can just like navigate Mm -hmm. experiences a little bit better because of the experience. So I'm glad you brought that up. Okay. Some of these mental health issues that we discuss that Asian Americans deal with are due to the fact that we have this battle between our parents' values and our values. And the main difference is they were brought up in India and we were brought up in America. So can you explain any, like, you know, differing ideology that you guys had that caused some issues within your family?
1: Yeah. I mean, I just like a macro view of it. Most of my ideas are differing from my parents'. (laughs) I'm not sure how much that is cultural I'm sure a lot of it is but yeah I mean one big example is in college I was in the mind that I wanted to go to medical school and be a doctor and then by the end of that four years I came out ready to go to grad school to become a teacher and so you know that's definitely a huge shift in what I wanted to do but that's what I wanted to do and that that caused a huge rift within my family for a while actually and just because, you know, that's not what an Indian kid is supposed to do. Um, like Dara, you did a, a more traditional route and became a dentist. My fiance is a doctor. My, you know, my brother works in tech. And so those were a little bit more ex- like, quote unquote, acceptable back then. But I didn't want to do it because I just wanted to, I wanted to follow what, what my calling was and which is exactly what I did. I didn't let that stop me, but that definitely caused some conflict and it took a while especially for my dad to kind of come around to the idea he had to see how hard I was working at it and like actual good I was doing um, and I think it also helped that I eventually got a PhD but the the teaching thing I, I know that he's at, like definitely proud of what I was doing then and how I've taken that now to teach teachers how to you know hone their craft but that's definitely one of those things where I just decided that the conflict was worth it and I know that For some people, that's difficult growing up in an Indian household that, you know, you have to, you have to ask yourself, like, is this worth it? And a lot of people say no. And there are other things where I've said no on, but this is one of those things where I said yes on. And so you kind of have to deal with it, but it's, it's definitely tough.
0: To give some people idea of why it ends up being a struggle is when you let your parents know that you want to do a career that they don't generally um, approve of is, because they are then calling you and reminding you that they disapprove. And that constant, you know, reminder does not do well for our mental health, which is very, uh, you know, very obvious, but they also use that to compare us to how other individuals within our Indian society are doing and what, you know, that we need to make sure we fit a certain mold so that we can get married and then have children and that constant pressure of living that model Indian life of get a, you know, education, get a job, get married, have children, buy a house and complete the cycle, you know, like it's, it's just something that is very much driven into us that it has to go this one way. And if not, it ends up being that you are very much disrespecting the family. And it's also the understanding that, you know, our parents left their homes in India where their families are, took the risk to come here, worked really hard to bring us up. That story has been told to us multiple times to help us understand how much they've given up. So then we should then also follow in their footsteps and respect the family by, you know, completing the common education goals that parents have, the common life goals that parents have for their Indian kids. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is bicultural socialization. And that is something I think is really important because I realize that this is kind of how we should approach families that are coming from two different cultures or kids that are coming from two different cultures. Bicultural socialization is when children acquire norms, attitudes, and behavior patterns from two cultural um, sources. So for us being Indian American, but you know, taking things from our Indian culture, and then also taking things from our American culture and blending it to, together. This actually shows that it works really well for children. Those children end up having high self-esteem, a lot of Um, positive racial ethnic identities. They do really well in school um, and amongst their friends. So I think this is an important topic because it gives families an understanding of how they can overcome some of these issues that Asian Americans have. And I just want to give a quick example of my upbringing. We did a lot of road trips and that's a big part of, I think, American life you know, doing these road trips were in, you know, movies and TV shows, and we did a lot of them. And on our road trips, we'd listen to music, but it wasn't American music. It was Indian music. So yes, I will say I can't really relate to my friends that have listened to some eighties music. My parents didn't listen to much of that, but I can relate to them about the road trips that we take. And to me that I feel like my parents, kind of molded the two cultures together to give us that experience. And it was a very happy yet boring part of my childhood being in the car for that many hours. But Ronak, do you have any experiences like that? I mean, your dad took us to a lot of different things. And
1: they, he definitely, they tried quite a bit. I have to give them credit on that. Like we did what we did camp. We did road trips. We went camping a lot. We did hiking a lot. Um, There's one summer where you guys came over and we went to Green Lake for the the Got Milk Milk Carton Derby and that festival and that kind of stuff. Um, he put us in sports. Like there was, they definitely try, we did Christmas and stuff. So they definitely tried to um, do whatever they could uh, to make us, you know, kind of feel like we had those cultural experiences that our that our friends would have. And so I def- definitely don't think that I was lacking in any, any of that.
0: And that was something that, I very much also noticed that we would do the American like things, but then like so we'd go camping, but then they would bring like Indian food with them. It wasn't there were hot dogs and other things, but they would cook like full Indian meals sometimes on our camping. Mm-hmm. I definitely those join doing the camping when I, we were young was a like a p- big memories in my brain and my memory space of you know, fun that we've had that was a part of American culture. Cause, and the funny thing is, is some people say that a uh, camping is just like being poor in India. Like, why would you want to go camping? And it's just like, well, it's more about the nature. There was a lot mm-hmm. of nature
1: That's that hiking
0: grew up with. And so coming back and having access to nature was really nice for them too. So lastly, I have some final questions that I go over with most of my interviewees from this, kind of series on cultural diversity and childhood upbringings one of the first questions I have is what is something that you wish everyone would understand about being an Indian American immigrant when it comes to childhood experiences and parenting
1: I mean I think it kind of goes back to that I guess model minority myth understanding because I feel like I mean I can't speak from a white person's understanding but maybe they've been conditioned to think that oh look it's an Indian person like they should be successful they should be you know a doctor, or lawyer, so A, B, or C, whatever, and just understand like that's not how it. That's not how it is at all. And I think now that we're at the second generation of any Americans, or in, I guess in some places third. You know, I'm, I'm like we're from the from the Seattle area, so we're not as established as our families are in New York or in LA or you know Jersey down in Florida. And so they're in the third, maybe even fourth generations. And so you're going to start seeing a, almost like a regression to the mean. Of which would happen with any population. And so you're going to see people not be those things. And so just don't be surprised.
0: And don't, Um, yeah, I would say don't stereotype that this is how all Indian Americans are.
1: Yeah. And stop using Asian Americans as a wedge, because there is a very concrete reason as to why Asian Americans, Indian Americans, specifically are at the top of, you know, median household income and having a I think the statistic is, I think 44% or 40 something percent of Indian Americans have some type of postdoc degree. So it's 40%. And the average in America is 11%. Like there's reasons for that. And it's not, you know, just because Indians are good at math or they work really hard. You know, all cultures work hard. Everyone works hard.
0: So where would you see the future heading for... Indian
1: Americans. I mean, instead of that, I I feel like it's more along the lines of, I want to see, I applaud anytime I see an Indian American do a job that's outside of those, you know, doctor medical field, business field, or, uh, you know, lawyer field. And so we're in, in three days, we're going to see, or however many days after this is airing, we're, we're going to see Kamal Harris be sworn in as the vice president. So, Anything, you know, along those lines, I'm totally cool with. I applaud any of that.
0: And I agree. Sometimes I think back and I've looked at my decisions and why I chose being a dentist. And I love my job. I'm really good at it. I've pushed myself. But sometimes I wished I pushed for other options within my own family. They kind of pigeonholed me into like, okay, this is your only you know, this is the box you can live in. And I rarely ever stepped outside the box. So I do applaud those people like Kamala Harris that like, you know, she's pushing for representation of Asian Americans and even being half black in politics. And that's a big deal. That representation means a lot to someone like me. And seeing that now makes me believe that there are chance for other uh, Indian American women to try to achieve those goals. And if I would have seen that when I was younger, I would have maybe pushed more in that direction um, and maybe done like public policy work for children um, instead of um, maybe something more of like healthcare related in dentistry. So, but thank you so much for everything. I really do appreciate you opening up your life and talking about some of these um, heavy topics. Uh, I'm going to have you Thanks on. For having me. I'm going to have you on again. So we'll talk about a little bit more later about what I'm going to have you on again. But since you're a PhD in education, you have a lot to say that I want to pick your brain about. So stay tuned for Rona coming back again.
1: Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me and trusting me to be on your podcast in one of these early episodes. I'm I'm grateful.